You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Ah, the sweet sound of week seven in a PhD program. Tonight on the menu, we have a watermelon white claw. Nice. And over on my end, we have a parasiter. A parasite? Parasiter. <laughs> not, not the glorious Oscar winning movie. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, little do I know. I do have some blinking lights on my front lawn area, my porch. Hmm. I'll have to check the basement on that. I'll be back. <laughs> it's week seven over here in my PhD program. Um, I'm feeling it, you know. We got a week left until the election. Oh, this is going to be out by then, huh? <sighs> by the time this gets released, we will know what happens. Oh, God. Current me is like in existential pain while also doing school so that's cool um how's future me doing did you make it (laughs) was everything fine or did the world blow up (laughs) let me know we got a lot of messages in the i dig it discord this week about imposter syndrome and so i feel like everyone's feeling a little loony right now it might just be that time of term (laughs) or everything (laughs) i think it's the time of term and especially with schooling being online and i think that does not help alleviate anything because you're not able to go in person and get the feel of things physically as you are emotionally just yeah like you're more in your head than normal while being online all the time. Yeah, I think we're all reaching like our max for online <laughs> things right now. Yeah, it's good that you only have a 10-week program. Yeah, thank God. Because yeah, our break is from November 20th to January 11th. So we have a decent-sized break. Oh, that's so nice. And we need it. <laughs> I yeah, need it, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my advisor um, earlier this week. He just, like, asked, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know. (laughs) But we were talking about how with everything being online and on Zoom, you can just stack meetings, like, right after each other. And so Mm -hmm. as a result of that, you're just going and going and going and never stopping or taking a break where you would normally be, like, walking to a different meeting or, like, going to lunch or whatever. You just sit in front of your computer for the whole day. And then, yeah, it's... It's intense. I think I'm doing more work now than I would have been if I wasn't on Zoom. And I think that's good and also not great (laughs) at the same time. So I need to work on not. Taking a break. (laughs) (laughs) On not. On not. (laughs) I think we all need to work on not. Yeah, I'm currently doing that. (laughs) <laughs> how's how was your you were you working this week did you have work this week no. or not really i um right now because 
it's becoming winter in a way. Work is kind of scarce, especially for being a part-time variable as myself. And so there's just not really any work right now. And I'm just like, what do I do now? (laughs) I'm kind of like, I have some projects like I want to do my digitization project. And luckily we have this Discord. So it's just planning for that. And I've been really like thinking about life too. And I'm like, I know where I am is not where I want to be long term. And trying to think, not think, but like kind of solidify like my research approach and what I really want to do. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like during this time, I'm grateful to be in a PhD program because it means I'm not on the job market. And so if you can get a paid PhD somewhere, like hella do it, totes worth, especially just because I feel like we're both the type of people that just enjoy learning too. And like, even though it's a lot of work, it never feels like I shouldn't be or like I don't want to be doing it, you know? Like, I'm overwhelmed with, like, how much I have to do, but it's never like, oh, my God, I don't want to read this. Because every time I start reading it, I'm like, oh, this is interesting, but I have to speed read. <laughs> like, I can't, yeah. I can't spend time <laughs> on it. That's like, oh, like, it's this super is so interesting, interesting but, but got to have... go fast. <laughs> yeah, got to go, got to yeah. go fast. Yeah, so that's that's the only thing I'm running into is just, like, reading too slow. Yeah. And then because I read so slow and there's so much to read, it just takes up all my time. Which is fine, but yeah, yeah. It's just, if I could read a little faster, I think my life would be better. <laughs> We're going to separate this episode into three parts as normal. We're going to be talking about the different definitions of agency, agency in archaeology, and contingencies with agency. Do you have like a written down definition of agency? Um, I don't think that exists. Okay. <laughs> so the big question is what is agency and who has it? For example, do people have agency? Do things have agency? Does a river have agency to get to the ocean? Does a donut have agency? You know, like, what is agency? And there's different things you can think about to get around this topic, such as, like, does agency mean something has, like, an effect or an impact on something else? Is that what agency is? Or is agency, like, the goal or intention of something? Or is it, like, the power of something? These are, like, kind of keywords to use to start thinking about what agency is. We had a talk with Ian Hodder a couple days ago just about general agency and whatnot. And one of the students in our cohort brought up like the coronavirus as an example. And does the coronavirus have agency? Because the coronavirus is smart in that it adapts in ways that allow it to keep spreading but it also requires us in order to do so because we are the hosts for it. Does the coronavirus have agency even though it's a small bacterial whatever, not a conscious human being? Does agency have to do with consciousness or does it just have to do with like the power to do something? So like coronavirus would have the power to infect and spread and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
or is agency like the conscious decision to make a choice to do something? I think I need to know when was the talks of agency, when did they first come about? Like I know the philosophers and were like, what is life? Do we even <laughs> exist? Do we have free will? Like those are like the beginning thoughts, obviously, because we're all just like, I don't know what I'm doing on this planet. What are, we, what are we really doing here? There was a lot of self-questioning with Aristotle, of course. And some human actions could be defined as voluntary rather than determined. And then that just keeps going with this thought, like, th- like looking back on this free will. But when did like the term agency come about? I do not know. I don't know either. I I know <laughs> that we started talking about agency and archaeology like during post-processualism. Basically, post-processualism is when archaeologists start trying to get at the individual behind the artifact rather than just the data of the artifact. And so An example of this is like when you find a stone tool and all of its fragments around in a context and you can put the fragments back to the core of the stone tool to see exactly where the person in the past decided to chip off each individual piece. And so that is an example where you can like physically see the decisions that were being made by the person making the thing. That's kind of like the idea behind agency in archaeology is trying to get to the reason and the root of why people decided to do the things that we can see in the archaeological record. Another argument against this is like, how do you know Mm -hmm. what anyone does or the reasons why they did it? Because you're not there, like you don't see it happening during the readings with dobris and rob they said it started in the 1900s with free will thinking and thinkers with like Locke and hume or so but who like who came up with this word that's my question because <laughs> i have some beef with them no I'm kidding of course not. <laughs> this is this is gonna be a difficult conversation to have so one thing that mr ian hotter said during the class everyone was talking about like oh agency is like the decision to do something so like a river doesn't have agency because it's just following gravity it's not like making the conscious decision to move towards the ocean that's just what it does because of the laws of everything right and so a person chooses to do things or chooses to go against the norms or chooses to make a decision and the example that we started off with class in class were two examples of people setting themselves on fire in protest. One was Homer, Homer Darabi in Tehran in 1994, who she was um, protesting against the treatment of women. And basically, after she did so, Like, nothing really happened. Like, the event happened, and then it kind of fizzled out with, like, no impact. And then the other example is Tianisia, which basically started the Arab Spring. And so he burned himself in protest of how, like, the government was treating everyone. And that just, like, erupted into a big national 
protests. And so we were talking about what is different about these events to where one fizzles off and doesn't really do anything to impact the rest of the world, quote unquote, or blow up into like a big event. And like we kind of brought up like the George Floyd protests also as an example of this, like like black people have been abused by police for so long. Why was it this particular instance that caused change or that people like finally started to listen and like react to it? We were throwing out ideas and some of it was that because George Floyd died in a period where everyone was at home just absorbing information with nothing to distract them from these events that were happening aside from reading the news and scrolling on social media and everything's being posted, you can't get away from it. That's kind of a reason why it had the impact it did. In this instance, what is agency? Like what part of the situation is agency? It's like, is agency environmental factors that contribute to something happening and then reacting? Or is agency the individual people who decide that it's something they want to care about and then that spreading? Or is it the agency of the person who posted the video and got people angry? Like, was their intent to start a revolution? Probably not. Was it anyone's intent? Probably not. Reading this definition of agency by Gardner from 2007 is that it says, Agency is treated as the capacity that all humans or agents have to actively shape and transform their world has to have a degree of self-consciousness or awareness that sets them apart from other species. And I think with that case, uh, it's I'm actually questioning agency in that, because when you were saying, was it the individual going and seeing this and wanting to make a difference? Or would agency go in lines with empathy? I don't think empathy because people could have intent for malicious reasons also. That's true. That's true. Because when you're saying to help, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's like to help you see something in danger or in agony and you want to go help it. But then why wasn't that a reaction From prior? Oh, prior. Like prior to, like if we're talking about George Floyd. Why didn't that empathy kick in all the other hundreds of times that this has happened before? Mm-hmm. And maybe it is the environment. That's a maybe it is the environment. Yeah, and just like the setting, and I don't think that if we were not in a pandemic, maybe that this wouldn't have as big of an impact. Mm-hmm. Where people are just sitting at home. It, let's let's talk about like. Agency versus free will. What is free will? (laughs) Do we even know what free will is? What is free will? Do we have free will? Do we have free will? There's a question. Theoretically, it's being able to do things on our own accord with our own self-consciousness and awareness that we own, that we have. So a choice. Free will is choosing to act in ways which you see fit in any 
given situation. Would you say your choices are also determined by the culture that you grow up in? And arguably, you don't have free will because every choice you make is influenced by something you've encountered before the choice was made? I wouldn't say no directly, but I feel like as humans, we're just so dependent on... I want to say the advice. I'm just going to say the advice. The advice that we gain from others around us in our society, in our community, in our culture to be able to perform and continue on through our lives. Because if we don't, we're dead. (laughs) Yeah. So would a person born in the middle of nowhere with no external influence have free will? Would they even know what free will would be? And does free will come from language and being like, does a person born without language or anyone to interact with think? Stuck in the middle of nowhere, not stuck, born in the middle of nowhere, but who gave birth to you? Were you just dropped off? Was anybody taking care of you? Obviously, hypothetical situation here, (laughs) but yeah. You wouldn't survive. (laughs) You wouldn't survive, that's true. Okay. But if you ended up surviving. But like the fact that we even need to do a hypothetical like makes it just a complicated thing to think Mm -hmm. about, you know? Because like in this world of binaries, we have life and death. We have agency and nothing like (laughs) oh in one of the readings there's a quote by ian hotter from 87 and he said since societies are made up of individuals and since individuals can form groups to further their ends then directed intentional behavior of individual actors or ideal ideologies can lead to can lead to structural change Indeed, societies might best be seen as non-static negotiations between a variety of changing and uncertain perspectives. So this kind of brings us to the notion of individual versus individual. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's the idea that people are made up of the totality of their relationships. Mm -hmm. No one person is just them. They are a conglomerate of everyone that they've mm-hmm. interacted with. And they're all kind of entangled, to use Ian Hodder's favorite word. They're all kind of entangled together. Yeah. And you can't make a person without entanglement with other people. I would just have to say that there's just no easy answer for what is agency. <laughs> it's all overlapping. And I just want to say you just basically change it to fit your meaning as what I've been observing in all the readings about yes, it. Exactly. It's like, what do you, well, as long as you define what you are meaning by this and it goes along the lines of what agency is overall and not making over generalizations of the term, that would render it useless, as Dobris and Rob would say. Yeah. I think, like, the general definition of agency just has to do with like choice being able to to choose one way or the other yeah and it's a decision based on like the relationships between you and the people around you it gets like 
very if you if you go into like okay like what are these relationships who is a person what is a personhood who is a individual blah 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 yeah once you go deep then it gets a little sketch but yeah exactly yeah. a little sticky but a little, a little sticky <laughs> i think we should go into the stickiness with archaeology after this break All right, and that's the sound of the second White Claw of the night. Because we're going to be talking about agency in archaeology. Oh, man. But, I mean, that I mean that's what archaeology is, you know? Just trying to think about the past and how people have once been and lived. We're never going to know the actual answer. Because mm. even if we have written documents, theirs are not accordance to everyone that was alive yeah. that time in that area. I think that's like the main takeaway from these ideas of agency is that it made archaeologists realize that you can never really know what was happening. Whereas before people would just project their biases onto an artifact and be like, yeah, that was a guy who did this thing. And then agency makes you think, okay, well, why did he do that thing? Why is this here? Was it even a man? Like <laughs> that sort of thing. So I think agency or even if you can't define agency, it at least gets you thinking about these things. And I think that's what's important about it. And that's the end of the TED Talk. <laughs> that's the end. Okay, bye. No. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely takes away from the biases of previous archaeologists like Heinrich Schliemann, who we have talked about before in detail in, I think it was episode eight about scientific racism. Maybe that was episode nine. He was considered to be the father of modern archaeology because he applied the scientific method to archaeology and he was one of the first. But he kind of went around Turkey and said, hey, this is Troy or Ilium. And I'm going to um, start taking these artifacts from like the late Bronze Age and I'm going to smuggle them over to my friends and we're going to be fine. And so that's what he did. What's considered to be new archaeology was with agency in archaeology that argues that archaeology be based explicitly, explicitly on anthropological theory, which I found to be an interesting point in this article that I was reading because that's very important because that's when you start thinking about like, who was this person? Why were they doing this? Why were they living about living the way that they were and really thinking about the past rather than just oh they're savages because they don't have cars like us it's like well no <laughs> really tell me more <laughs> in Gardner's 2007 article about agency they wrote why did people come from culture x and make pots the way they did they're not considering how people themselves not only interpreted, interpreted, <laughs> interpreted or <laughs> responded to such factors, but actively generated them. So it was like you were saying how, when, where, who, what, why, mm -hmm. all those. And does someone just decide to design a pot one way or mm -hmm. do they bases off of other people? Who knows? Or previous Do we even versions of the thing they just updated a little bit like yeah does a design ever come out of nowhere and that's where you use serration so why were they 
building the pots the way they were? Were they basing it off of anything? And that goes along the lines of serration, which is a relative dating method used to place artifacts in chronological order. Artifacts are closely similar in form or style and are placed close to one another. Typology. Relatively. Typology. Stylistic seriation. It doesn't always mean it's simple to complex. And it doesn't mean it's complex to simple. It's just different styles in the pots and stuff. And is it even from the same area? Were they influenced? Were they doing trades? And I think that really helped with the this type of mindset helped with the thinking and looking into different lifestyles people are having and like actually like, oh, there was actually trade during this time and two thousand years ago, blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm just curious, like I wish I could be on a fly on the wall in like archaeology classrooms or something in like the eighteen hundreds and see like what was being taught. I kinda you like, take your don't. sledgehammer and you go up to the temple. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And no, then you no, what? take it. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Can I slam my sledgehammer into the temple? Yes. <gasps> okay. You cool. find the prettiest piece of the temple you could possibly find, and then you just sledgehammer it. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that's kind of interesting when thinking about agency is like when a person did a thing, did they intend for it to have the consequences when they did mm. it? And I think that's something fun to think about, a fun mind exercise, you know. Um, One funny example we had in class, which (laughs) is kind of, yeah, it was really funny. So the example was, so you're crossing a road, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you catch a bullet that was intended Mm -hmm. for the president of the United States. No, not this again. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't your intent to catch a bullet. And it wasn't the intent of the shooter to catch you with the bullet. But as a result of that, there are unintended consequences. So applying this to archaeology, when someone decided to create a new design on a pot, they just liked how it looked. But then... Everyone else around them also liked how it looked. And all of a sudden, everyone's making the same pot. And then that same pot gets traded across the continent. And then someone in a different continent has that pot. And then that pot serves as a tribute to the god in the local continent. And now that pot is like a religious symbol. Was that your intent when you first created the pot? Probably not. (laughs) it's just so interesting (laughs) i don't it's mm, it definitely gets you thinking and that you shouldn't take everything at face value or just like hey this is what it looks like it's like okay but why does it look like this go deeper it's like oh all right go a little bit deeper what about this it's like but why keep going then even when you think you're at the bottom you can still go And then even when you hit the bottom, you realize that that bottom isn't the only bottom. There are many other bottoms that could also be possible. And that's the most important part. And you kind of like see this as a way of like decolonizing archaeology too. It's like you're not taking one person's interpretation as 
all-knowing, that's it. Like, they know exactly what happened in the past. Like, agency kind of allows you to think about all of the alternatives to that. And now there's not, like, one overrating theory of how a civilization is supposed to be and how people in this position act and et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, that's, it's, I think agency is very good in that respect in that it allows you to recognize that you do go into the field with these biases. Like we grew up in California in the United States in capitalism as women and we project these onto everything we interact with. We project these these experiences, etc., on everything we interact with. And knowing that allows you to step away and kind of think about, okay, well, what are the alternatives? And be open to speculation and not claim anything as fact because we have we don't know. Yeah. We'll never know, but it's an it's important. Even though we'll never know, it's important to try to know. To try to find out. <laughs> yeah, make sense of some things. We are we are nothing without our history, and as we've seen throughout history, those who write the history books are in control, mm-hmm. and oftentimes they leave out a lot of what's happening, and so mm-hmm. we need to continue to question these interpretations of history and try to get as close to the root as we can and with that we'll be back after this break (laughs) okay so thanks for listening to our (laughs) listening to our banter but yeah none of this makes sense but it's fine because we're trying and so (laughs) an interesting thing to think about the idea of entanglement entanglement is basically from the beginning when people decided to pick up a tool, they started to be entangled with things. And when the tool would break, they would make something new in order to fix the tool or make something new that was better than the tool. And then from that, you go from plowing to having a cattle in a cart to having sedentary civilizations and agriculture, to having cities, to having governments, to having et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, smartphones, global warming, death, you know. Like, so (laughs) basically we're on this trajectory path towards just accumulating so many things to where it impacts our environment and we can't reverse it. So entanglement started with the first human who picked up a tool and it will never Never. untangle ever. Would you say that we are more entangled now than ever before? Yes. And I feel like as time keeps progressing, we're going to be like in 10 years, we're going to be more entangled than as we ever have before. And I think it's only going to increase. Exactly. And if you think of... This was one of the examples in the lecture last night. But so you pick up a pen, right? A pen seems like it's its own object, right? You can move it around, write with it, whatever. But if you think about the pen and all of the parts of the pen, where did the metal in the pen come from? Where did the ink in the pen come from? Where did the plastic in the pen come from? They all came from different areas of the world, sourcing cheap labor, 
um, emitting fumes into the planet, into the atmosphere, um, all these different things. When you're done with the pen, you throw it in the trash. It exists forever because plastic doesn't biodegrade. And so everything we own has so many different things entangled with it. it. Nothing is its own object, especially in today's world. They're all connected. And so if if some factory in China decided to stop producing one part of this pen, all the other pens would fall apart because they wouldn't have that part of the pen. And that's how like interconnected our networks are today is that when one thing stops, it affects the entire world and production of that thing. And another example was like the idea of Christmas lights how like Christmas lights weren't really a thing until recently, right? They We used to use candles or whatever other means of celebrating Jesus's birthday. <laughs> but Christmas lights have like the plastic and the copper and all of that. And they've somehow become this integral part of decoration for the holidays where almost every country or continent uses them. And so factories that produce them produce billions of pounds of Christmas lights every year. And then when you're no longer using the Christmas light, you just throw it away and then it either gets recycled or it doesn't. And so now we're dependent on Christmas lights because no one's going to stop making Christmas lights because of all of the income it brings and it's part of the joy of holidays or whatever. So we'd rather keep using Christmas lights then face the impact of the Christmas lights on the environment and on how much plastic is being produced and how much waste is being produced. Like we'd rather just keep using Christmas lights. And now with the use of fairy lights and people just wanting <laughs> the aesthetic of decorating the room, their house uh, without being like, oh, it's Christmas time all year round. It's like, no, I just want it for the aesthetic. Exactly. So that also contributes to that production. When you think about where every single, like, I have so many things in my apartment. I was telling my partner the other day, I was like, how did we get so many things? Like, we live in a studio apartment. We don't even have enough room for all this stuff. Like, why do we have this? Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. Why are we so reliant on things? And what are the impacts of buying these things on our environment and is there any way to stop it? <laughs> you should watch the minimalism documentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could like participate in minimalism or use recycle or whatever. I mean, recycling is like a whole nother idea. We have this international sorry, I'm just gonna keep going off on tangents, but we have this international student who is living here in Palo Alto now and she was so surprised with how quickly Americans accumulate trash and then it just disappears the next day. And like the rate at which you accumulate and it is just gone the next day and you don't have to think about it. But in other countries, the trash you create sits with you. It stays in your house. It stays on the streets. It stays wherever. You don't just dis like get rid of it. But in America, it's like an afterthought. Like you don't even think about where your trash goes. And all of the trash that we produce 
either like goes onto an embargo ship and is sitting in the ocean right now or gets shipped to like Southeast Asia or China and like trash doesn't disappear but we just think of it as disappearing. I would have to comment on that, that I moved into my house in August and I still have cardboard from the furniture I bought that I built and that was holding some furniture that I purchased in my garage because we get recycling that comes around every other week. So we want to get rid of our normal recycling and then fill it up as much as we can with the cardboard, but we still have so much cardboard that's just sitting there. And then I'm just like, I never want to have to buy anything again that's going to consume cardboard. And like, I've, I mean, I haven't really even needed anything other than just like food and stuff. So I try to not purchase things that I don't need. And even with like food waste too. Yeah, even every time and, like, you the buy plastic bags. Exactly. They do so much plastic wrapping so in the grocery plastic. store. It's like, I'm literally going to use it for two minutes and then throw it away. Like, why? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we definitely have an entanglement problem. It's just increasing at an exponential rate to where we're increasingly dependent on things to where we can't not be because we don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And that goes with agency. Why? Do we even have the free will to choose if we are comfortable or not? Are we not comfortable because of our society and our environment? Why are we not uncomfortable? I feel like we do have the ability to stop but because of where our values are as a global society, which is money, I don't think we're going to. Even though we have all the resources, we have all the means to get to the root of the issue and stop, I don't think we will because it's too much work. It's yeah, yeah too hard, too uncomfortable. It will inconvenience you. Where we don't need to be the inconvenienced anymore. Basically, you can blame all of your problems on the first human who picked up a tool. <laughs> and that is what I'll leave you with. <laughs> uh, it's definitely something that doesn't come across your mind naturally. You really have to mm -hmm. think about it because thinking about it causes discomfort in your brain and your brain hole is just like, what is going on? What are <laughs> your you brain trying to hole. think about? And you're just like, I don't really even know, but why? Yeah. <laughs> and so having these type of conversations and just learning about it, doing the readings and trying to like catch up on it is, I think it's really important. And especially just like not taking things for face value and just really thinking about why do we do the things that we do? What influences it? And see if you have the agency to change it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But is it even your own free will to change that? Or it's like, is that you thinking that or is that something else? Or yeah, is it me telling going. you to change? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In conclusion, we don't have free will. And existence is pain. Existence is pain. And you can blame <laughs> everything on the first human who picked up a tool. And yeah, we're all just gonna be buried in things soon. Like things Wally, are just gonna keep thinking. Yep, 
Things got a thing, you know. Soon we're going to put our – we already have things in space. You know the things are going to oh yeah. spread to other planets too. They already have mm-hmm. actually. We already have trash on Mars. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Humans just, just thing it up until there's nothing thing left it up. to thing. Mm. That cause, that's with their – when they pass away. But other humans will keep doing it. Yep, yep. So for this episode, we will be providing our articles that we have been reading. And be sure if you have any comments, let us know. You can hit us up on the I Dig a Podcast at gmail.com, on our Instagram, on Discord, on Twitter. Let us know if it hurt your brain a little bit because I'm in pain. But <laughs> please let us know and please let us know what your brain is thinking. Because that would be interesting. Yes. Yeah. Let's thing it up together. Let's thing it up. Actually, no, we don't want to contribute to the things. Let's think it up. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle, in Reno, Nevada, at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. So there's a bobcat that's across the street from us, and whenever she's by, I like look up at her. She looks at me, and I start pss, pss, at her. So I'm like, pss, 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 come here, come here. As she's across like, the street, mind you, so I'm doing these loud, pss, pss, and she just stares at me, and then she saunders over. And so then she comes to our front yard, and then she gets nice scritchies. And then Jade goes into the back to get the catnip, as we were just talking about the catnip earlier, because catnip is there to prevent mosquitoes, and there's a lot of mosquitoes mosquitoes out right now, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And so she runs to go get the catnip, and then leaves the door open. She's like, I wonder if she'll go inside. And do you know what? She went in? She did. Wow. She went inside. The music is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and so... As she went inside, I was just like, she finally did it. And Jade's coming back in with this giant pot with catnip. She's like, to catch a cat. Like, to catch a predator. The cat version. And that's about it. And then the cat went in the house, then it went to Jade's room, and then we had to get her out of there. And then she started smelling the catnip when we put her outside. And then she got (laughs) cat stoned. (laughs) And then she definitely was smelling that catnip. The end. The end. And she's still outside. Legend has it. She's still smelling that catnip till this day. Wow. Which has been like 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So funny.